Welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Today, we have a guest host, my friend Dana, who is at the Columbia Museum of Art right now and is going to be speaking with Derek Erdman for us. Um, Dana, you mind giving us a little short uh, synopsis of what's going on in Derek's life, what he's been up to? Absolutely. And first, I have to thank Dylan for asking me to help out with this podcast. I was absolutely thrilled um, if he knew or if he when he asked me if I knew anyone to bring onto the show. And I immediately thought of America's greatest living art garbage movement painter, Derek Erdman. I am utterly obsessed with Derek. Um, his paintings are absurd, hilarious, relevant, accessible, and he's made over 6,000 of them. And I'm so excited for him to talk about um, what he's been working on lately. Derek grew up in Ohio and Southern California. He lived in Seattle and worked for the alt-weekly paper, The Stranger, but also worked at Sub Pop Records. Derek currently lives in Chicago with his partner, Ashley, who's also an incredible artist in their right. Um, you can follow Derek Erdman on Instagram at Derek, D-E-R-E-K-E-R-D-M-A-N. And you can also check him out on his website, www.DerekErdman.com. Well, hell yeah. I'm really excited about this. I know that uh, years ago I would see, I think some of his artwork was around Shred Quarters. And did he did he do the one Kent Kids album he cover? He did, the, yeah. So Derek painted that, what is it, um, Touches, Brushes, Tongues? Or I think it's, it's either that or Brushes, Touches. I'm yeah. getting my order. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> They're going to yeah. be like, don't they'll know. Um, but yeah, so he did the album art for that for that album. Um and that's our, our fun Columbia connection. So we'll talk about that um, along with some other fun Columbia tidbits, I'm sure. And just, he's just a really funny, interesting guy. And I'm actually really excited to talk to him. I've known him kind of only through the internet for about 10 years. And I've never actually had a um, conversation with him. It's only been through email or, you know, just, just on the World Wide Web. So I'm very excited to talk with him. And I hope y'all enjoy. Well, Dana, thank you a million times over for coming on the show and booking this one for us as well. Um, you know, you just have done a lot for us and we appreciate it. And I am stoked to hear how it goes. I, I really don't know much about his backstory. I've just seen the the art itself. So it'll be cool to, to get to know, you know, a little bit about his journey and what he's been up to. But thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, this is our episode with Derek Erdman and guest host Dana. I'm going to butcher your last name. <laughs> it's Witkowski. Hell yeah, Dana Witkowski. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that if we need yeah. to. All right. <laughs> I like I like those people. I still think of uh, Colombia as kind of a untouched utopia. I don't know if that's actually true, but when people talk about you know like Athens, Georgia of the '80s or Austin, Texas of the late '80s, I really feel like Colombia like had or has that potential. Though I don't really know if that's true. I could see that. I, I might be biased though. I, I'm from Colombia and I've never lived anywhere else, so I'm like, yeah, Colombia. But I'm like, yeah, Colombia. Fuck yeah. Do you like it? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I, uh, when I was growing up, I always wanted to move and get out of Columbia. And then the older I got, I was like, you know, this is a really cool city. And a lot of people that I love live here. And it's, yeah, it is kind of, it does remind me of Athens. I totally get that. And it's relatively affordable, right? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. The cost of living, knock on wood, um, is very reasonable at the moment, which is a nice nice perk. Is the chicken man still alive? Yeah, he is. Um, So chicken man is set up every day on the corner of like, I think it's Hardin and Gervais street. So he still does it. He's still going. He's still cranking out those chicken paintings. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been to Columbia? Uh huh. I bought I bought a bunch of his paintings once. Okay. So I I dated Jess. Um, it was a very weird circumstance. I would say two thousand nine, or maybe it was even it was summer two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. Jess came to visit me in Chicago with one of her friends named Holly, and I don't remember why they came here. And I didn't even know them that, that well. They just said we're taking a road trip. We want to come can we stay at your house? Mm -hmm. I had a really big house at the time. And I said, sure, you're totally welcome to, I don't really know you too. I know you through the internet, but uh, that, that would be fine. And, you know, we had fun and I didn't know them, but like Jess and I had like a really, like there was a moment when we like looked at each other and I was like, Oh, this person's like really cool. So I started seeing Jess sort of, uh, you know, long distance. I moved to Seattle shortly after that. So mm-hmm. I visited her in Columbia two or three times right when she moved into that house on Height. Is that how you say that street? Height. Yeah, Height Street, yeah. And then she came to Seattle a couple times too. So I didn't come to Seattle, I didn't come to Columbia ever only to visit her. And we would often, you know, like do road trips from there. We would go to other places, but really I would just stay with her at the shred quarters. And then I met all those people. Um, Adam had just moved into the house and Mm. I met Henry and I've never met Chris Bickle though, but for some reason, yeah. Yeah. For some reason though, all of these people, like, I feel like I have a connection to y'all, even though I don't. Cause you talked with Chris for when he worked for dangerous minds a couple of years ago. And I'm so sorry to put you on the spot with this, but um, I, and this, this description just sticks out to me about how he, when he asked, how do you describe your paintings? And Garbage art movement. Yes. And I also yeah. love old country buffet. That's totally fine. Um, I would say <laughs> that when I started, I certainly was, you know, like I, I didn't have an art background when it comes to studying art. So I didn't know what to do. I was, how do you like become a painter? And there's so many people who are like, oh yeah, I'm an artist. I mean, who doesn't make like crafts? Right. So I realized that if I just made a lot of something, I'm sure someone would have to notice, especially if you're selling them for like, you know, eight to $12. Right. So I got into the habit of just making tons of paintings with the cheapest materials available. So eventually they would catch on. And I guess that, I mean, that approach worked. I don't know if it's a good approach because you kind of saturate your market, but luckily enough, I was able to, I guess, transform into slightly better versions of what I was making and then able to maybe price them better, Mm -hmm. higher. So I'm still not making, you know, $11 paintings. And you've made a lot of paintings. Um, I think I read somewhere that it's upwards 6,000. Yeah, I would say that sounds about right. I think I probably, these days, probably make like four to 700 a year. So it has slowed down significantly than like the first couple of years. But a lot of them could be very small. But when I have like a house show, I'll try to have like 70 or 80. And then I get pretty regular uh, commissions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you do these house shows, but you've also, I've been following you on social media and seeing these um I don't know how to describe it, like street shows, I guess. is. Yeah, so you- I wanted to, I mean, I guess it's sort of like music busking where someone would just set up a guitar on a corner, but why not just find a wall, a wooden wall, and then see not only how foot traffic responds to that, but if you tell people on social media, I mean, social media is, really like you can use that in a way that it didn't exist in the old days where you can tell, you know, 3000 people, Hey, I'm going to be at this corner today for four hours. Right. And it's a good, and because of the pandemic, it's been a really good way to, I mean, you can't, you're allowed to be in public. You're allowed to walk down the street. 
you know, without much judgment. So it's a good way to have a show and say, like, you know, don't come here to congregate. Just walk by. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, your artwork, it's its always felt very, um, like, accessible to me because it's its just hilarious. I think it's so funny, and there's a lot of just absurd, bonkers humor. And, like, I think the first painting I ever bought from you was Charles Manson wearing a snow caps cap. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I, I love, love it. It's I in love snow caps. My favorite movie. <laughs> candy. It's not even, it's actually not even a really good candy. I mean, it really just tastes like chocolate, but... There's something about how messy those white perils are. It's really like. <laughs> it's just fun to say snow caps cap too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, okay. So I have a really um, serious question I need to ask you before we continue. Um, would you rather eat a hair sandwich once or sleep with a dead fish for a month? Who would not just eat the head, the hair sandwich? I don't know. So I think every, that obviously makes <laughs> sense to me. That is a 100. I wouldn't even have to think about that. Yeah. So are you, can you eat that much hair? I mean, would it get, would you get very sick? Would it get like caught up in the system? I don't know. I, I guess it depends on what kind of hair it is too. I mean, I guess cats eat hair when, yeah. I, definitely the hair sandwich though, for sure. Without a doubt. <laughs> hair sandwich. All right. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love this question because it like elicits so many responses. Like somebody was like, well, am I, am I fucking the fish or am I just like sleeping with like a can of tuna next to me? Like, oh, right. really, like I, there's just so many variables. I definitely imagined it to be like just a rotting whole fish, in bed, <laughs> right. which would be, uh, that would be unbearable. I'm like way too like tidy mm. and clean to have there being like a rotting fish. <laughs> All right. Well, good answer. Um, oh gosh. Well, I have so many questions I want to ask you. I don't even know where to start. So I, okay. I love Seattle. I've actually never been. Um, I don't know why I geek out about Seattle. Can I ask why you, why do you love it? I don't know. I, so, um, the media has given the world like, has, like an idealized yeah, description of it. And it, I have to tell you, Dana, it's not, it's nothing like that. It's not like Frasier. It's not like singles. It's an extremely dreary, socially difficult and expensive place. I have heard that actually, I'm, I'm so ashamed to admit this, but one of my best friends lived in Seattle for years and I just never visited her. I just, for some reason I was like, I can't afford a plane ticket. I don't have, I can't do it. And I'm so mad that I never took advantage of somebody living there to go visit. Um, I don't know, maybe when we can all fly again, I'll, I'll head out there. Sure. But, I, so, I have friends that I could, they would be glad to put you up for a couple days if you ever want to go. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, I actually, speaking of singles, I saw that one of those apartments is a, an Airbnb now and you can actually rent it out, which is... Oh, yes. Yeah, somebody sent that to me as well, which is a brilliant <laughs> idea. I'm sure a lot of people would want to do that. I thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, well, can I ask you about a prank? I don't, I don't know if you would describe it as a prank. I don't know, maybe, but the singles at the singles apartment complex. No, sure. That was a prank for sure. Well, how did it go? Was it was canceled, right? It got canceled. It got canceled uh, at the behest of the actual people who live there, which they actually changed their mind. I was sort of sold a bill of goods at first that someone, one of the attendants was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't like, it wasn't, it would have been fine if it was actually a viewing party, but actually after like a thousand people RSVP'd, then it just became funny. And so then, of course, I would never say like, oh, we can't have that many people. Then I think the obvious choice would be to just go with that joke. So, of course, we're going to have a thousand people. Why don't we invite 3,000 more? Mm-hmm. So people would write me letters and they'd, or messages and they'd say, how do you expect to put 4,000 people in the courtyard of this apartment building? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Like, it makes total sense. Just jam them in there. Mm-hmm. Like, not knowing that the whole thing was like cheeky. And then I would get like, you know, like, oh, you're going to need like porta potties and like, oh my God. you're going to have to get a license. Do you have a parade um, but, permit? <laughs> but for, from the beginning, it was a joke, but I didn't yeah. want to ever like give in to the joke or like let, you know, like make it like I wanted to keep it as serious and mm-hmm. have that be the joke. 
So I started getting like, I got, you know, messages from the landlord. I got a message from someone from the city saying like, you can't do this. You really have to pull the plug on this. And the landlord actually put a bunch of like no trespassing signs up and like some caution tape around the apartment building. And that that's when the residents actually got kind of mad at me. They were like, what you've done has like changed our living situation. Oh no, their rent went up like, like probably. Right, right, right. But of course it was, you know, the thing was totally a joke. And I have a friend who actually lives there now. And she mm-hmm. she she says the apartment's quite nice. It's a little overpriced. But she told me that one of her neighbors said that I'm not explicitly not allowed to visit that building. Oh so my she gosh. told me you got she banned. told me she told me she would it would be fine if I came to visit, but she had heard that I was like, you know, enemy number one, apparently, which is a cool title to have. Yeah. Wow. And so- I'm, I mentioned on the Wikipedia page of singles because of that. So I feel like uh that's a triumph. That's oh a, a number one life triumph for sure. That's fabulous. And and for those of you listening who are not familiar with singles, it is, I love this movie, but I also, I know it's like hated by so many people. Um, a lot of like grunge purists don't like it, but it's a Cameron Crowe rom-com, you know, early nineties, Matt Dillon plays like an Eddie Vedder type, I guess, or it's just, it's very, yeah, it's, it's silly, but I love it. And the singles apartment complex, you were going to basically have a viewing party of the movie there, which is very meta. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's a, it's a slightly corny movie, but it's, it's perfectly good. Yeah. It's, it's so corny. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I, yeah. I'm so glad that, that you're on the singles Wikipedia page now. Uh, yeah. Life, life champion. That's a, <laughs> something that I'm, I ticked that box off for sure. And so you and you were in Seattle. You also worked at Sub Pop Records. I did, yeah. Um, have any funny... For about five years. For five years. Wow, that's a long time. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to uh, the president via text about a half an hour ago because um, we keep in touch. I really... That place, I've never worked somewhere that I've felt more... Uh, comfortable or like I fit into a place and she was writing me because she said she had just remembered this time that we used to get a lot of boxes you know for records going in and out and we hid one of the people who worked in the shipping department in one of the boxes and when bands would come to visit we would hide him in the box and then he would jump out and it was like really funny because I think a lot of people are like like a little nervous when they go there like it might be slightly intimidating Mm -hmm. But Andrew Sullivan jumping out of the box really like it. A, it was, it, I think it was more funny than me telling the story, but B, I think it really like put a lot of people at ease. Like, oh, you're out of place. We take things lightly here. There was a very, very ugly painting in the, the owner's office. His name's Jonathan Poneman, and it was like of a, it was like of a guy levitating while doing like a yoga pose. And it was a terrible painting. But for some reason, it was in Kurt Cobain's art style. If you've ever seen Kurt Cobain's art style. And so I just always assumed that it was a Kurt Cobain painting. And I was the person in charge of giving the tours. There would be a lot of people would come visit, whether it be like, you know, other people from other cities or just people visiting Seattle or people in bands or label heads from other labels. I would walk people around the office and tell them all about, you know, where we do things and how we do things. It was one of my favorite parts of that job. But for a couple of years, I would always tell people, oh, that painting in there, that's an original Kurt Cobain painting. And Dana, this painting was like, really bad and so one day Megan Jasper over overheard me saying that (laughs) and she just started busting up and you know after I gave the tour I was like what was so funny she was like Derek like we bought that painting at a cafe because we thought it was so ugly it was like a joke (laughs) that we bought it and the fact that you've been telling people that Kurt Cobain made it and so like I actually looked back like somebody sent me an interview it's it was like a magazine from New York, I think it was Impose or something like that, uh-huh. did a story about visiting Seattle and they wrote about how cool it was to see that Kurt Cobain yes. painting in real life. Oh my so God. like that, um, every day, I can't believe I was able to work there because really like every day 
as long as I did my job, you know, mm-hmm. answering the phone and routing the mail and making sure things didn't catch on fire, they were like, you can do whatever you want. So, I mean, we really got up to some very funny stuff there. I saw, that's so funny. I, um, I saw on like an old Facebook post um, that you put Courtney Love on hold for 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. She <laughs> You can. I mean, uh, it was pretty cool too. The people that you would come in contact with, but most of them, you know, were just like kids, so excited about music. So that it's not anybody that you can ever get like jaded or angry at. I mean, that's like that. That's the best part of working there is that people were actually enthusiastic about things. I think there was a timing culture where you know, like being kind of a jerk or elitist was celebrated, and I think that kind of all went out the window maybe like around the turn of the century or something. But certainly it was like, you know, it was the idea of warmth, social warmth was very encouraged there, which I really liked. Yeah. I love that. To balance out, I guess, all the the rain and and gloominess. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that Nirvana will like never not be a cultural touchstone. It's very (laughs) wild how much of it like a, absolute institution that that band has become yeah. and i think that place will always be in business just because of just because of that yeah probably so hmm all right so i want to talk about so you're in chicago now yeah i moved to, oh, sorry. I moved to seattle in 2010 and didn't like it uh, I mean, I liked it just fine, but when the opportunity arose to move back to Chicago, I jumped on it. That was 2018. Yeah, so because you grew up in Ohio, so you're you're like Midwest. That's your yeah. The Midwest. These are my people. Yeah, these are these people make the most sense to me, and I like the Midwest. <laughs> I like the Midwest's history. I also like kind of now that it's that it's a little crumbly and that uh, you know it's not the most celebrated place and it's an easy place to live and. People are easy and the living is cheap. And while it's often climactic, uh, the climate's difficult sometimes. Right now it's, I think, four out and it's been snowing for the last three days. Um, I, I mostly identify with this area of the country. And if I don't end up in the South, I probably will end up just staying here because nothing, I mean... I like New York and I like Los Angeles, but this place probably speaks to me the most. Right on. So you're painting in Chicago and what, tell me about your current job. So I, I've always liked to have day jobs simply because of the scheduling. Um, and so a lower end of full-time hours is usually the most interesting to me. So I don't have to work 40 or more hours a week. I can work around 28 to 30. Mm-hmm. That's best. Uh, and I have a good friend of mine as a partner at a civil rights law firm. And I kept telling him how much I wanted a job there. And eventually they found me a place doing what's called intake. So this law firm sort of made its name by exonerating people who have been wrong, wrongly convicted, um, typically of murder charges, maybe have been in prison for 20 or 30 years. Uh, we help them then get out of prison and then help them with a civil lawsuit if that's what they want to do. Um, So I do what's called intake, and because we're a well-known civil rights law firm, we get a lot of people who have similar stories, you know, like, oh, you know, I got beaten into a confession, or the DNA was faked. So I talk to a lot of people every day who have similar situations. Um, So along with intake, too, I'm sort of becoming more and more of a paralegal, which I really, the work is interesting, and it's fulfilling, but I also love work that requires sort of meticulous organization mm-hmm. as well as working with people who do incredible things. So I'm so fortunate to have along with, you know, painting being, being able to paint as a living, having jobs that are like, you know, really interesting. Sub pop was last and now I'm doing this. Um, I could, I have painted solely for a living in the past but I typically have to do it without health insurance because I can't make that much. There's a real limit of how much money you can make. And I also just don't have the absolute drive to create art for a living. It really gets tedious to have to make things to make money. And I find that I make better work 
when I'm not doing it a hundred percent for the money. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I so I'm, you'd get burned out if you were just constantly having to churn out. Yeah. And you have to, and you have to, you have to, I mean, maybe the trick is to not gear or pander everything towards sales, but you definitely have it in mind because you're thinking, well, this is the only way I have money. And so of course I'm going to make, you know, some painting that's going to resonate with whoever is spending money at that time where when I have another job, such as the law firm, which actually pays quite decently and I have really good healthcare, I don't have to care any longer about, Oh, this funny thing culturally happened. I better make a funny painting of it. Right. I can sort of lay back. I mean, like, and I not going to art school, I don't really care about making a bad name for myself or having sort of like, some kind of, uh, how do you say, um, ideals as to how cool I want my art career to be or how serious I take it. Right. I don't take it seriously. It's always been something that, like, if I would put that on my wall, I would also sell that to somebody else, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you said that because in looking at your social media, you have a lot of, uh, like, interior shots of y'all's apartment, and it's just plastered with with yours and Ashley's artwork. And I'm like, that's so cool because it's like they created that. And I mean, obviously y'all love it enough to constantly surround yourselves with it. I think that's really, I always wondered if that is like a tacky thing to do. Um, Hell no, I don't, I don't think it's tacky. Probably one of the reasons why I even started painting because I wanted, you know, things that I, you know, Oh, I, I would like a painting of that. Oh, I guess I can just make it. Yeah, Um, exactly. so, So, we have a pretty, I mean, the turnover is pretty high also of what we've put on the walls. So, you know, we sell things as, as it goes up and actually does less and less of that type of work. Now, most of her stuff is in commercial directing. So she's not actually making a product that one would print and sell. She's actually doing commercials and stuff. Very cool. So let's see. It looks like, okay. I, I have to ask because there's a lot of listeners who may not be familiar with your art style. What, where, what are your inspirations? Where's, you know, where's your inspiration coming from? I would say my main inspiration comes from clip art. Oh um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's actually I thought how, that, but I didn't want to say it. Cause I was like, is that like a weird thing to but Yeah. yeah I, totally I, I really, Dana, I don't think you're going to offend me by any <laughs> questions whatsoever. Um, <laughs> it's certainly an accessible I think what I do is something that anybody could do. I mean, I guess some of the like style decisions I make isn't exactly what anybody could do or the subject matter, but when it comes to like the actual method of it, I really think anybody could do it. I found a, I lived in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood when I first moved to Chicago in the late nineties and they had a coloring book, well, I'm sorry, it wasn't a coloring book. It was a translation book. And it was very, the, there was something about the style that I loved. And the translation book had, along with all the translation words, certain clip art, you know, mm-hmm. drawings of things that were being translated. And I later found out that that clip artist was actually named Tom Tierney. And he was from Texas. And he made, his whole life was making clip art. So for a long time, I would just paint his clip art. And that's like, I have to admit, that's pretty tacky. I would just find like a Tom Tierney, you know, like a nurse. And I would make a painting of a Tom Tierney nurse. Um, Oh, I did not know. I had to Google Tom Tierney and I did not realize Tom made a shit ton of paper doll books. Yeah, that was another thing. I totally get that from your... And they were weird paper doll books too. They'd be like First Families or like Princess Diana. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I've written emails to him as well as his family. I think he was like a very devout Christian and very private, but also just like kind of also an incredible artist. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. look at that, his stuff, he had such a good style and it's interesting that he turned... I mean, working artists, if you want to make money, you know, sometimes you have to make a clip art book. No, no big deal. So I lived in this neighborhood at the time, coincidentally, that had art walks. Mm -hmm. Every month, everybody would open their studio and people would come and look at your paintings. And so I thought, well, I could just make these clip art paintings and I bet people would, they'd probably like them, you know. And so I made them. And that's when I started selling them for like 
extremely cheap. You know, like paintings would be five to twenty dollars. And I sold them quickly and I thought, I bet if I do this a lot, I could probably make somewhat of a living off it. This is a very long time ago. This is like two thousand three or two thousand four or so. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Which feels weird to say because it that's yeah. Time ugh, time. <laughs> you, are you, yeah, you have a couple <laughs> words out. I'm yeah, having struggling a with aging, Dana. Yes. Forever. Is that true? I mean, I don't no, really, not really. You know. You are probably no. in your thirties, yeah, early thirties. I I turned thirty last year. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I guess that's probably a good time to have a have a, a I guess a life take a life inventory in a way. Yeah. What? <laughs> Actually, I have to get my wisdom teeth taken out this year, and I feel like that's such a late age to get your wisdom teeth taken out. But I had mine taken out three years ago. Really? Yeah, and I had my appendix taken out earlier this year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And that's another thing. It's also late stage. Uh, Are you getting all four taken out? Uh, Yeah, I absolutely have to. They're like completely in and giving me all the trouble. Um, Are you going to be put under like all the way? Oh, hell yeah. Um, (laughs) Not the way to do it. Yeah. I, some people stay awake. I don't fucking know how, but some people do. Um, It really wasn't that bad. Doing what they're doing in there when I'm awake, you know, just the crunching. Anyway, the recovery was rough, but you'll be fine. And you'll be so much happier when they're not there. But it's fascinating when you actually stick your finger back there and they're gone. It's wild. (laughs) Can't wait. Absolutely wild. (laughs) You will have nothing back there. Um, But you know what you can, I don't know if this is your bag, but you can see if you can keep them. Oh, actually, that is my bag because I, I, yeah, I love just weird bones and and tiny taxidermy, things like that. So maybe I'll make some cufflinks or a pair of earrings with them. Yeah, or a necklace. I have one of mine in my hand right now. The other three I've given away. And I have to say, all of of the people I've given them to, they've all been really receptive to them. You literally have one in your hand right now? I did, yeah. Uh, It's funny, too, because when, um, well, no, I just picked it up. It's on my Um, when they came out, they, uh, it's funny. They didn't clean them exactly. So they had like some kind of blood on them. They looked a lot like flaming hot Cheetos. (laughs) Just a tidbit there, but really like, you'll be so much, you'll be so glad that they're gone. Oh, I can't wait. Like the pain, if you let them and impaction and Mm -hmm. like the, uh, yeah, it's bad. Man. So sorry to get off on that teeth tangent. No, um, that's okay. Can I ask you about a project that you no longer do, but I'm just, I'm so fascinated by it. Um, sure. Rap, Rap Master Maurice. Uh-huh. It's funny that I don't, I mean, I did all these things. I can't believe I did all this stuff. You are a very them. prolific, just in general, just you have all of these projects that, I'm like, how does Derek find I don't, his name? I don't know where it came from because I don't, my, uh, I was raised by a single mother and she's not, I wouldn't describe her as necessarily diligent. So I got, for somehow I got, you know what it is, Dana? I, I used to get stoned in high school and I grew up kind of white trash. And there was a t- couple times I got stoned where I realized like, if I don't really get it together, I'm just going to be white trash. So I got really into cleaning my house and my room and I got really into like working hard at school. So I went from like a shitty grade point average to a really good grade point average. And I think I kind of took that like work at, you know, no matter what, you have to work really hard. Mm-hmm. And I guess like in a way, if I'm doing things like calling people on the phone and making telephone raps at them, it's a little bit misdirected. Like, you know, I could probably like be a doctor or maybe like a great astrophysicist, but instead I'm just making telephone raps. But I think kind of what life is about is, you know, doing the things that you want to do and maybe doing them as best as you can or as hard as you can. So Ratmaster Maurice happened in the mid 2000s. I had a friend who had some kind of trouble. His like his sister was being harassed by a guy and he wanted me to like fuck with the guy in a way that wasn't exactly fucking with him. And I had already done a different phone prank that he really liked and so he was like maybe you could make some kind of phone prank to this guy and I thought well I could just like make a rap sing a rap to this guy and I'd get the idea but it'd be in a way that would be like funny Mm. and that's exactly what it was and he loved it and then I made the recording of it and I thought well it's pretty good I bet I could do this for seven dollars 
So I charged people $7. And then eventually price got raised to 12. And I think when I stopped, it was 17. Um, but I probably did, you know, 2000 of those. There were times when I would get like six or seven a day and I would just spend the day making $15 wraps. It's pretty dumb too that I never thought to raise the price because I probably could have done pretty well. Uh, and, but maybe like some of the actual, uh, some of the some people really wanted me to do it because of how cheap it was because it was a really good it was a pretty good deal to get an actual wrap for seven dollars oh, yeah. um i good, didn't find out about it sooner i totally would have a good portion of my income for a while was actually like i had to write down telephone wrapper on my you know tax forms at the end of the year <laughs> um but I, eventually it just got really uh it just kind of it got boring i tried to sell his outfit and the actual business for a million dollars on ebay unfortunately nobody took it nobody bit damn ahead of its time perhaps because now you can like mail potatoes to people with anything on it right there are so many different things you know have you are you familiar with cameo at all i i am i actually bought one for one of my friends um for their for their birthday from who yeah, it's such a funny, weird concept. And but who was the actor you chose? Or so um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. She's a comedian. Her name's Lauren Servideo, and no, she's absolutely bonkers. I'll send you her Instagram. But um, my friend Prescott and I just—we're always like quoting her. It's very silly, and I love it. Was but she anyway, expensive or was she cheap? Cheap, thirty bucks. Best oh, that's so worth spent it. Spent all year, yeah. Totally but some perfect. of those, uh, I don't know. Cameo's fucking fascinating to me. You should get a cameo. I would never get a cameo, Dana, but thank you for, <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> Nobody would care. should get a cameo. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I got a decently nice car last summer. Uh, I sort of fell into a 2015 Subaru Forester, and I love to drive it. And It's got a shit ton of space in the back. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to fill it with paintings and then go to towns and set up on a street for, you know, two hours and sell. I'm not going to put all of the paintings up. I'll only put 10 paintings up per city. And then I'm going to go to, you know, however many cities that was Memphis, um, Columbia, Louisville, uh, Savannah. Oh, Savannah's and, great. Uh, have you ever been to Savannah? I have driven through, but I have more and more friends there as time goes on. Um, and it's so beautiful. It's so, it's such a beautiful place. Gorgeous. Chattanooga, Chapel Hill. You can carry around, um, booze and just walk by SCAD. Oh, see, that's perfect. (laughs) And it'll be simple to do too. You know, you just nail up paintings and if people buy them, they do. And if they don't, they don't. And then you meet people and I'm going to sell t-shirts. It's going to kind of be like a band on tour, but it's going to be paintings, which I'm really surprised people don't, do that more but also i think people think of their art as like precious or it has to maintain some kind of respect and i think having a show on the street on a wooden wall would be like demeaning that i th- i would i would guess that would be the only reason why people don't do more of stuff like that so i'll be on the lookout for i guess a, a wall you're looking for a wooden like a construction wall essentially a construction wall or just a wall of something that has been torn down or like this business is out of business. Ooh. And I know you were going to ask about my record store, but Dana, I have oh, to say yeah. a lot of my art career, I would say has some kind of relation to music. Like mm-hmm. when I started painting, I was, I owned that record store and I would say my paintings in a way are kind of like records in that they are, you know, typically square. They're typically colored like records but the fact that I will make the same painting over and over again is less and less like fine art, and more like always selling an edition of, you know, like records. Yeah. Oh, I totally see so that. Instead of selling a painting for $5,000, I can sell one for $100 because I'm going to make it again. Mm-hmm. And my process allows me to create a painting exactly in the same way as I made the other one. So I can make 50 paintings and they'll look very, very similar. Yeah, that is cool. Um, so speaking of Henry, and I, he had this question that he really wanted me to ask you. Um, how do you feel about regional specific foods and their respective branding? 
I love that. I love regional. I love regional anything. I love real regional dialects. Mm-hmm. But I was very interested in. I don't know if he's asking me this because he knows how much I love that ship. But I like, think he is. Yeah. <laughs> when I would go to visit Jess, you know, I was very interested in your mushroom mustard based barbecue and boiled peanuts and whatever you know, like candy types you had that we didn't have or chip brands that we didn't have that you had. Um, other than like, I fell in love with boiled peanuts. I absolutely loved them. Uh, the barbecue is just okay. I prefer Memphis barbecue, but I absolutely care about that type of thing. And because of that, I have friends from around the country that often sell me things from their area. Uh, I have a friend who lives in St. Louis and every time she goes home, she brings me back a bag of chips called red hot riplets. And they are truly divine potato chips. What flavor are they? Are they like spicy? Yeah, it's like a spicy barbecue kind of thing. It isn't like flaming hot flavor, but it's more like a spicy barbecue. Red hot riplets. Look into them. I suggest them highly. <laughs> Buy some on the internet. Yeah, well, it's good that you're coming by in May because that's spoiled peanut season for us. Oh, that's good to know. And typically I love the ones the most that are like sold by some old dudes sitting in lawn chairs with a generator and a pot, like yeah. in, in a um, field. <laughs> Side of the highway or not highway, but just like a dirt road kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. They have more flavor for sure. Oh man. So yeah, I'm, well, I'm excited for the May show. It's going to be really cool to finally meet you in person and to attend an actual Derek Erdman art show. Yeah. Um, vice versa. Thank you. Oh it gosh. should be fun. Definitely. Well, I think those are all of the questions that I had. Oh, I already asked the hair sandwich. Are you still sticking with hair sandwich? Yeah, hundred percent. What kind of bread would you use? White, like cheap, super cheap white. Oh That's God. something you would just want to. Would like, you even put mayonnaise on it? That was something you just want to ball up and eat. You know, you yeah. wouldn't want to like <laughs> a hearty, a hearty grain. I think would make it worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you like went in with the mentality, like just pretend they're sprouts or, or something. Yeah. 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 Oh, my oh God. That we get stuck in your teeth. It would be. So <laughs> <great>. <laughs> oh, man. And I, I don't was, know if you could digest that, though. I think you would have trouble. Yeah. Probably upchuck it or something. Yeah. I mean, because cats can't digest. That's why they have hair. Right. Milk. No, they just throw that up. Oh, oh my, my God, God. speaking you, of cat, you that? is that your cat? <laughs> yeah, he's very talkative. So would your cat I mean, rather eat a hair that. sandwich? <laughs> Archie. 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 We have two cats and they're uh, they're very, I've never had cats with such personality. And Archie is the neighborhood cat. Like he goes outside and kids like run to him and people yell and they're so happy to see him. He's pretty famous in the neighborhood. Oh my gosh. What's the other cat's name? Chi-Chi. Chi-Chi can't go outside because Chi-Chi's like a nut. Chi-Chi would just run straight and then never come back and get totally lost. Um, but Chi-Chi's extremely good at catching. We have this feather toying. Chi-Chi will jump like five or six feet into the air. Mm. And Chi-Chi is food obsessed. And Archie's a little more lackadaisical, but also like everybody's best friend. Um, but Archie's the one who is very talkative. And he's also, Archie's a real licker. I've never had a cat that's a real licker. Um, but Chi-Chi doesn't have the same kind of meow. Chi-Chi has a, Chi-Chi's a little bit of a runt. So he goes, it's like a squeak. Yeah, it, it is almost like a squeaky toy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I um, thought so never, oh wait, no, you go first. Currently, I'm also working on uh an edition of The Great Gatsby that's being printed, I think, as we speak. I'm getting some, a couple of quotes back. I don't know if I told you about that, did I? Oh, Kai, uh, okay, so I saw it on your Instagram, but can, remind me what it is. So I'm actually having 500 of this book made in, like, a proper paperback book form. But it is The Great Gatsby with all of the punctuation taken out. Like, all the punctuation and all of the, like, breaks. So there's no paragraph breaks. And there's no punctuation. It's just the words in a solid mass. And I think I might actually release a version two where it comes with a poster with all of the punctuation, like all also in one group. Oh my God. That's amazing. So because the great Gatsby's copyright recently lapsed. So it's now in the public domain. Oh, that's right. And so I think somebody wrote me and they said, you should do something like with great Gatsby. 
And I was like, what could you do that would make it so someone would want to rebuy The Great Gatsby? And I thought, yeah, if you just take everything out of it and turn it into like a like a like a stream of conscious yeah. nonstop. Oh, it's an also in all caps. Oh, okay. Like, That's that was my next question was like if somebody were to read it, they might know if it's uppercase, lowercase, but it's yeah, all caps. No, so all caps, no punctuation, what? no that yeah. is so cool. I feel like people should have readings of this and, and so many different interpretations would. That would be very, very wild. I sent it to a well-known alternative book publisher and they said, no. <laughs> <laughs> she said, cool idea, but no. Oh my God. Wait, so how did you, how would you do that? Do you just, how did you take out all the, the punctuation? Did you like put it in a word doc and just. Yeah, there are. I, I was, it's funny too. I spent like an hour, like a, deleting commas and shit. And then, God. and then I think I just Googled like, how do you take everything out? And there are okay. definitely functions on word that you can do everything, make everything all caps, take away all the, all, all the, uh, breaks, take out all of the punctuation, take out certain punctuation. So it was actually quite easy. Oh, and I've also illustrated it too. It actually looks pretty good. Right on. Oh my gosh. So wait, okay, you when does that come out? It's it's still at the printer? Correct. Yeah, I'm hoping within the next month. I'll definitely have them have them before the tour. Oh hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Summer reading. <laughs> yeah. So there should be t shirts. There should be Great Gatsby with all caps, no breaks. And I'm also working on a flexi disc, which is a seven-inch record, but it's made out of very cheap plastic. Magazines used to include them in their magazines, uh, almost as like a page. They were also used to be on the back of cereal boxes. And it's going to be like a compilation of a lot of my friends and found sounds that will be in a zine. So that'll be another thing that'll be available. Oh, cool. Is unfound sounds the band name or is it just no no it doesn't have a band name at all it's just friends i just asked a lot of friends to uh contribute 10 to 15 seconds of audio so it's it's some of its songs some of it's just like laughing some of it's happy birthday some of it is just people talking i love that that's, that's so fucking fun thanks i think it'll be pretty good <laughs> Oh man. Oh, well, Derek, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, before we yeah, wrap Dana, up, do you have, this. of course, oh my gosh, absolutely. Are there any, you know, any parting words, any, you know, who's, who's an artist that we should know about or follow or, you know, Jason Poland, Jason Poland died last year and he was a really good friend of mine and it's what so touching. How much, are you familiar with him? Yes. So he, um, the, the draw, is it draw at Taco Bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taco Bell Drawing Club. Yeah, okay, that's yes. the one. Okay. So he was your friend. You guys were pretty close? Yeah, I met him when he was really young, even before he started doing stuff. He was just a kid who came into a place that I was working at, and I had some paintings of vacuum cleaners on the wall. And he was like, wow, you look at all these paintings of dad vacuum cleaners. And it wasn't like, you know, like, why did you make these? He was just like, these are so cool. So we kept in touch, and then I got to see, like, how good of a job he did. And... um and it's really touching that people still, you know, that Uniqlo just did like a clothing line based I on his drawings. Yeah. And there's so many people who are still like championing him, which is really, I think that's really wonderful. Um, Dana, otherwise I don't really hang out with a lot of artists. I don't think that's really by design. It's just some <laughs> people, some people really are into artists and some yeah. people like, I just do shit and I don't really like pay much attention and i it's not because i mean i'll see stuff and i'll definitely be like very impressed mm -hmm. there is a rug maker that i just started following on instagram and she makes the coolest rugs her name is moira quinn m-o-i-r-a-q-u-i-n-n -N. and her rugs kind of look like eight bit old video game graphics in a way they're very colorful but they oh, kind of have that like yeah. chunky, yeah. like if, if you can look her up right now, those are crazy. Oh, she's yeah. one of those like puncher. Um, I forget what they're called, but like a tufter machine. Like that whole machine that like runs up the wall, right? Yes. Holy crap. Fucking fascinating. Yeah. And um, also, of course, uh, my friend Joan LeMay, who lives in Portland. And uh, I have another friend named Sophie Trependahl, who... I just love them. And I, it's weird. I just named three girls and Jason, of course, but 
I feel like growing up with a single mother, I've always like related more to girls. So not, mm-hmm. I don't even know why I'm saying what I just said, but I just noticed that like, I feel like most of my friends who do art typically have been girls. Mm-hmm. Not that's something that you should add, but that was just me re- remarking on something that I just noticed. Um, but otherwise I can't really think of anything else I'd want to add. Cool. Uh, well, I am so thrilled that I got to finally shoot the shit with you and vice versa. Thanks. This was uh, real fun and quite easy. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, And hopefully we'll see you in May. So it's going to be tentatively just sometime in May details, TBD. Yeah. Probably more late. Ask a punk. Just kidding. We're just like going to have flyers around the neighborhood. Yeah. Right. Please. (laughs) Tell, uh, oh, I'm still cracking yeah, up at that. Um, God, what is it? That crypto drug flyer? Crypto sick, sick crypto drug bits. <laughs> I have actually, I get texts about that all the time and I have to pretend that I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Otherwise I don't know how to explain it. Who is this? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you sound like a cop. <laughs> What's your favorite Gatorade flavor? What is that joke? Like if they name the flavor, not the color, they're a cop. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. That's good. I, I think it's, I don't know. It's like some Tumblr joke. Well, maybe. Oh, no, like- sure. That totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Red. Oh, man. Well, Derek, I have had so much fun chatting with you this past hour. Vice versa. Thanks, Dana. Absolutely. And with that, I guess I'm going to end the, the call, the Zoom call. This is- I'll see you in May. Absolutely. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. All right. You want to throw some tags on there? This has been a Comfort Monk production.